18. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. And uh, as we look at the, one of the last marks of a healthy church, we, we've looked at the importance of, of, of membership and, and things like that. But today we're going to look at um, the importance of gospel discipline. And uh, I'm going to explain what I mean by that here in a few minutes. But Matthew chapter 18, um, verses uh, 15 through 20 is where we'll be. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. So we think through what it looks like for us to encourage one another, help one another, uh, walk in Christ, find our identity in the gospel, uh, and uh, encourage one another to walk in that identity. But uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, when you found that place, if you're physically able to do so, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. And I pray we would all hear the the word of the Lord that's given to us this morning. Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse 15. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he will hear you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with you one or two more, and in the mouth that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace that has been given to us in Christ. We thank you that we are able to assemble in the name of Christ. May you bless this time now as we look at this passage of scripture and father we ask this all in jesus name amen and amen thank you can be seated um i think i've quoted this before but i want to quote it again because i number one i just love vince lombardi but vince lombardi said i have never known a man worth his salt who in the long run deep down in his heart didn't appreciate the grind the discipline you know, Vince Lombardi was, was a fantastic coach, but, but I didn't come to preach on Vince Lombardi. But I think he does serve for us. I think the quote serves for us as a great example of, of, of the importance of, of just the ordinary discipline of, of people um, in whatever, whatever place they find themselves in life, just doing what they're called to do over and over again disciplining themselves whether it's an athlete or if you're, if you're just working uh, working at a factory or, or whatever it is that, that you have set your hand to do is just doing it and doing it well and, and working hard for the glory of God and, and that is that is no less the case when it comes to the Christian life it's no less the case when it comes to the Christian life you and I are called to discipline ourselves in the gospel we are called to find our identity in the gospel so this morning, I'm, I'm going to take on a rather large subject, um, and, and maybe one that you may not be familiar with. So I, I want to, I just want to, want to walk us through the, the subject of, of what it looks like for us to discipline ourselves, our, our own bodies, and, and our, ourselves as a church, um, and, and to walk, finding our identity in the gospel. So when I say gospel discipline, right, what, what do I mean? Well, Jesus here in Matthew chapter 18, right, he tells us, 
how how that that things are going to going to work right in in the uh, in in our in our local assemblies in our churches right we're 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 called upon as the church of Jesus Christ to to walk in a way that that we're we're regularly helping one another where we are regularly presenting godliness and in holiness um, walking in the steadfastness of the spirit living for the glory of God honoring Christ doing everything that we do for the glory of God. And that we are called to help one another find our identity here. And, and I know that most of the time this passage is seen in a very negative light. It's like, well, you know, if, if, you know, if you've got a beef with somebody, go, go figure it out. And, and that's certainly true. I mean, Jesus does present it that way. But there, there's on the flip side to this, which is that this, is, this is also gives us a, a, a common grounds from which you and I are to relate to each other on a daily basis. Right? How, how, we, how we walk, how we talk, how we think, how we act, how we live together, and we cooperate together in this, in this Christian walk. And I know that a lot of times, uh, the, the, again, the, just the one side of this is focused on about, uh, about how to, to, to confront a brother or sister in Christ. And again, Jesus certainly tells us this, but, but I, think, I think fewer focus on the positive aspect of what Jesus is actually saying here. And I think that's really important. And here's what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus talks in the Gospel of Matthew a lot about, about what it means to walk as citizens of the kingdom, right? Jesus has already given us the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And he's told us, okay, so this is what it looks like for you to walk together as citizens of the kingdom in this world, right? This is what it looks like for you guys to live together in community, right? This is, this is the type of characteristics you're going to produce. This is the type of lifestyle you're going to live. This is the normal pattern of living as citizens of the kingdom of God in the world, right? So this is what it looks like, this is what it's supposed to be like. And, and, and in reality, Jesus, in giving us this, and has already told us, you know, upon this rock I will build my church, right, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And now in Matthew chapter 18, he comes, and he's t- talking to them, and he's teaching them how to deal with sin. He's teaching, he's teaching his disciples how to deal with, with sin when, when, when our walk sort of goes astray. And so he talks about things like plucking out eyes and cutting off hands. And, of course, we understand that Jesus is being metaphorical, right? He's using hyperbole. He's using, he's using language uh, as an imagery as paint to paint pictures for us of how we should radically deal with sin. And then he does come to the, the, the issue of sin between brothers and sisters in Christ. But, again, on the positive side, right, it is, while, while he is talking about correction, he's also giving us, right, the, the, this positive affirmation for, uh, for how you and I walk together, live together. We, we are to relate to one another positively, how we are to help one another find our identity in the gospel, and how we are to walk that and live that out, right? And so, so this is what I want to do. I want to I tackle this from two different perspectives this morning. The first is, is from a far more positive, uh, before, we, before we actually dig into the text, the first, though, is far more positive, and that is just formative. That's just the formation of, of, of form, the formation of gospel discipline, the daily in and out grinding of, of walking with Christ, taking up his yoke, following him, walking with him. How do we do that? Well, I think it's important that as we think about this, we need to understand that that in reality, um, as as one pastor said, right? Like church, like discipline is everything that we do as a church. Right? It's everything. Last week we talked about church membership and the importance of church membership, and this week, you know, we're talking about gospel discipline and how how we need to be disciplined uh, and in our walk with Christ. 
And so whatever we're actually doing, whether it's worshiping, singing, giving, uh, whether it's preaching, teaching, prayer, personal Bible study, right, uh, community uh, evangelistic involvement together, right, we, we are, this, is, this is what it means to walk together, to form together in Christ uh, our, our walk. And so the affirmations then of all of this formation, forming this, this helping us form our identity in the gospel, I think really is grounded, as Jesus tells us here in Matthew chapter 18, the first and foremost reason we can do any of this is because first and foremost, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're talking about, when we're talking about helping one another remain disciplined and be disciplined in the gospel, what we're talking about is first and foremost, we understand that, that because Christ loves us, because we love Christ, because, but because he first loved us and because the Father loves us and because the Father loves his church, we need to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. We need to walk in a way that honors Christ. We need to walk in a way that, 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 that is humble and that serves Christ and that, that, that the worship of Christ is promoted, that the gospel is promoted in our very speech and our very walk and our very talk and what we do and everything we do. Like everything is about glorifying Christ and honoring Christ and serving Christ and making much of Christ and being able to tell others about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can see the transformation that has happened in our lives and they can glorify God for all that he has done in us through the gospel. And God takes this very seriously. He takes holiness very seriously because in the end, what is the purpose? What's the the end of the church? Well, Paul tells us, at the end of the church, right, is that, <clears throat> is that at the end of time, the Son is going to ultimately present the church faultless and blameless. That the Son is going to present to the Father the church, which, is, which will, we will be faultless and blameless, the bride of Christ. And so for this reason, the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working through the, through the Word of God is, is constantly forming within us positively the, the, the disciplines of grace and, and the disciplines of, 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 of hard work that we can work out our faith, we can work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, honoring Christ in all that we do and say. And certainly we understand that, that, that Jesus gives us this because none of us are going to be perfect, right? We're, none of us are called to, to go rummaging through one another's uh, 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 cabinets and, 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 and we're not called to do that, but we all realize our, our, um, uh, our, our, our own sin and that we're not perfectly pure. And because of this, we need a way to wrestle with how, how do we, how do, when, when things get messy and dicey in the local church, how do we actually deal with one another? How, how do we actually walk with one another? How do we talk with one another? How do we wrestle with remaining sin in each one of us, right? Because I think we would all admit, at least I hope we would, that we all wrestle with remaining sin. We hope to put it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Through, the, through, the, through, through grace, by grace, through faith in Christ. But we all understand that, that we, don't, we don't live perfectly, but what we can do is we can confess our common struggle. We can confess when we sin. We can, we can repent, right, together as, as a God's people, walking in Christ, loving one another, serving one another, calling one another to mutual accountability so that when we see one another starting to stray, we can say, hey, uh, brother, sister, uh, I'm really worried about this. 
I'm really worried about that. I'm really, I'm really concerned about your walk with Christ. Not because I'm being nosy, not because I'm gossiping about it, but because I've just seen some things and I'm really concerned and I don't know if you've seen them, but I love you enough to say, hey, be careful. Be careful. Watch your walk. Right? So, so we're not talking about sinless perfectionism here, right? We're not talking about, you know, no, no one here is going to be sinlessly perfect one day. Uh, well, in this life, let me say it that way, in this life. What we can do, though, is, as I said, we can, we can rely upon grace, we can rely in mercy, we can walk together, pressing on toward more maturity in Christ together, and we can encourage one another in that walk. Because one of the, one of the things I have consistently seen as, I, as I've grown up in the church, as, uh, uh, as, I, as I've, I've lived all my life inside the church, uh, the, the, the different church walls, the one thing I've always seen is, that before a man or woman commits to sin, ultimately, they withdraw. That's the first thing they start doing. They start withdrawing. They start cutting themselves off from the local assembly, from the brothers and sisters in Christ. They begin, they've been cutting themselves off. And if we don't care enough to say, hey, brother, sister, we don't know what's going on, but something's clearly going on because you, 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 you've started to pull back and are you okay? Um, we need to love each other enough to get into the trenches and to fight the good fight of faith together. Again, not because we're better than anybody else, not because you are better than me or I'm better than you, but because we are. this is the trench warfare that we're called to. We're called to get down into the muck and the mire and to fight together for one another's holiness and for one another's love and grace, or in love and grace. And honestly, the Bible calls this process at times mutual encouragement. It calls it accountability. It calls it by, by a couple different names, but, but do not hear anything that I'm saying, like, I'm telling you that this needs to be, this needs to be legalistic, or this needs to be harsh, or this, because it's hard, right? It's hard. It's hard work. We have to day in and day out fight for our joy in Christ. We have to day in and day out fight for, fight for our holiness. We have to day in and day out um, submit ourselves to, the, to the, work of, uh, the work of the Spirit and the work of the Word of God as the Spirit works through the Word of God, bringing about within us, producing within us holiness and righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit ultimately, which is what Paul would write in uh, Galatians chapter 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and love. Against us there is no, there's no law, right? There, so so we, we know that as God's people, we need to be encouraging, holding one another accountable, seeking after one another's good, encouraging... Uh, encouraging our hearts, souls, minds, and strength to love Christ together, right? Because true discipline orients us not from the standpoint of, hey, you're not doing enough. Hey, you need to do more. That's, that's not gospel. Gospel is look to Christ. Rest in Christ. Rest in grace and from the grounds of grace, based upon the Spirit's work in you and in His empowerment for you, then you and I walk. Right? Well, none of us are called to get on the hamster wheel of doing more for Jesus. Right? Because there's no rest in that. There's no grace in that. There's no hope in that. There's always just more and more. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to do When will it ever be enough? Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't the proverbial driver with a carrot dangling out in front of us saying, oops, almost got it, almost got it, almost got it, almost there, almost there, but for us to never attain it. Jesus calls us 
to love and honor him through the empowerment of the, of the spirit, through the gospel, finding our, finding our identity in the gospel. You say, well, now, okay, so you've said this, but where would we actually find this? Well, let me show you two places in Scripture. So if you want to, you can turn there with me. In Ephesians chapter 4 is the first place here that I want to point you to, that we see this formation of what I'm talking about, this, this, this walking together, this mutual encouragement, um, this, this gospel discipline in a, in a formative way. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 11, listen to what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And to us, as a result. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we hereafter be more, no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, I'm going to stop there. I think, I think that, that, that's, that's, I think, a great way for us to see this formation that's, that we're called to here in Christ. And you can go on through verse 32 if you wanted through the rest of the chapter and see how it continues to work itself out. But then again, there's also another passage. And if you go flip one book over in from, uh, Galatia, uh, from Ephesians and you flip over to Philippians chapter 2, Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. I think this is very important for us. Listen to what he says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies or compassion and mercies, fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Listen to this, verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even death on the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess to the glory, uh, uh, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, in other words, therefore, or because of this, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, <clears throat> but now when, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And then on down through verse 18, Paul talks about what we're not to do. We're not to murmur and grumble and, and, and all, of the, all of the sort. And of course, the working out of the salvation that Paul has in mind here is the is is like a is like a, a man training for a, a, an athletic competition, um, and we are called to let our faith actually mean something and look like something, and that it is. And so God calls us then to 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 give ourselves to this type of of formation as God's people. And as a result, do you know what happens within a, a local church and the, and the church in large? Do you, do you know what happens by and large? Well, there are three things that happen. One is mutual encouragement. 
Two is a, a deeper love for God. And three is spiritual strength and vitality. Why? Because you're not being called to do better. You're not being called to do better. You're being called to grace. And yes, yes, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that doesn't lead us to greater holiness. It most certainly does, and it most certainly should, and it most certainly will. But how is the most important question, not based upon your and my strength, but upon the strength of Christ provided to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm not an antinomian. I'm not telling you it doesn't matter how you live. I'm telling you that the grounds from which we work are different. They're different. Not you, but Christ in you. Not me, but Christ in me. Not, not me, but Christ through me. And so we, we find ourselves then in this holding pattern of, of encouraging one another, of helping one another, of walking together in Christ. But then, there, then Jesus does tell us here in our passage of Scripture, there is some real corrective measures given to the, given to the church, aren't there? There are some real corrective measures given. And this is where um, I, think, I think a lot of churches, they go wrong because they spend so much time on this part that they forget the first part. The second part is just as important as the first, but I, I feel like if, if we spent, like, like, so I'll give you an example. I, I, know, I know a local church today, right? I know a local church I could take you to today, right? Right this second. They have disciplined over half their church. They kicked out half their church. That's not what this is talking about, okay? Right? That's not what they've talked, this is not what this is talking about. But there is a corrective nature to which it does when we get out of alignment with Christ, right? We, we, we are called to hold one another accountable. And, and that's where the correction and the corrective part of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 18 does begin to kick in. Because we truly do believe in the responsibility and the necessity of holding one another accountable when we start to go astray. And that's just much true for me as your pastor as it is for you. Like if, if, if my doctrine starts to stray from the word of God, then yes, you are called to hold me accountable. I am called to, to simply call you to what the scripture says. And so we're called to hold one another accountable. Because there, there, are, no, there are no more thans and lesser thans. There's, only, there's, there's Christ being formed in us, right? And the divine authority of scripture to which all of us myself included, and especially me, must submit to, right? And so as we look at this passage then, we see Jesus giving us some real, some very real uh, truths for how we are to deal with one another when things go from walking together to all of a sudden there's a, there's a problem or there's an issue, Right? Because understand that, that as we talk about this, I think some underlying issues here need to, need to be laid out. One is that Jesus' Jesus's concern in all of this and his discipline of his children is always based upon and patterned after right, his love for us. He loves us, therefore he calls us to pattern discipline after that matter, or Hebrews 12, 6. And it's based upon the holiness of God, right? Um. And, and that we're, we're, we're called to do this. Um, and, and, and I would even say this. A church that doesn't hold each other accountable really doesn't have 
a way to share, a way to witness to the world. They don't have a testimony before the world. Because the world observes the behavior in the life of the church. It just does. And if they see us being absolutely pagan and heathen, more so than even they, I mean, Paul even says in the church to the church of Corinth, he's like, like what, what's happening there isn't even talked about and done among the pagans, the heathens, right? And when they see that, then our, our witness is lost and our credibility is lost and it's damaged, it's decimated. But I would say this, I would say one other thing before, before we go into the text. I would just simply say this. There is a real need and adjustment for how we deal with one another based on the situations. And I say that because as you look through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus deals with several different groups of people in several different ways. And we've got to remember, Matthew chapter 18 is given to the, to the church, right? So there are times when Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. He was always confrontive. He always... Uh, focused on the truth. He was direct. He was to the point. He called them all kinds of, of different names, um, brood of vipers and all sorts of things, right? Um, because they knew the law and they twisted the law. Then he dealt with the publicans and the sinners. He was gentler, uh, but truthful. Um, he ate with them, spoke with them, but he called them to repentance and faith in Christ. Then the disciples, he always rebuked the disciples very sternly, but not like the, not like the, not like the tax, or not like the, uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because he knew their heart, right? He knew their heart. And this is, this is the, again, going back to the heart of what it means to, to walk with Christ, right? Is that we need to have a concern for the glory of God, a testimony for the flock. We need to have all of this. And then this is where Jesus begins launching it in here. And by the way, I, I do have some bad news. Uh, and I, I, I know, I know, I know. And I've even done this, okay? But let me just go ahead and give you the bad news. Um, chapter 18, verse 20, where there are two or three gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, isn't talking about prayer. Okay? It's not talking about a prayer meeting. It's talking about church discipline. Okay? So let me just ruin your day by telling you that already. Okay? But let's, let's walk through this passage and let's see what's here. and Let's see why Jesus tells us what he tells us. The first is a, is a recognition in chapter 18, verse 15 is that there is going to be trespasses. There are going to be, there are going to be times when we don't always get along. And, and, and so in chapter 18, verse 15, what does he say? He says, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, right, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. In other words, don't, don't gossip. <coughs> don't tell everybody. Now, again, uh, this isn't talking about seeking counsel of how to do this, right? We, we do need at times to seek counsel about how we should uh, how we should approach a brother or sister. But again, that should be done very selectively, very carefully, right? But in chapter 18, verse 15, right, it says, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And, and of course, this is, this, is, this is realizing, right, that there's a real fault here. So this isn't, you got your feelings hurt because somebody said your baked potato was stinky, right? And we're not talking about that. They didn't like your covered dish. They didn't like something that you did. That's not what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about a legitimate sinful action that has occurred against you. And it says, if this has happened, then go to that brother or that sister. Right? Go to them. Talk to them. Try to deal with this together in a spirit of, of gentleness and humility, right? I think this is certainly the, the understanding here of this passage is that this isn't, this isn't, hey, I'm here to tell you everything you've done wrong to me. It's not the point of the passage here, right? This is not, I'm going to pull out a laundry list, uh, you know, I'm going to be like a, 
like, a, the per, like the person that every time something bad happens, you're like, oh, no, here we go. I'm going to hear about everything I've done wrong since the beginning of time. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. That's not what this is going. That's not what's going on here. This type is dealing with graciousness and humility, patience, realizing that all of us are sinners, right? But that if we walk disorderly, we need to be admonished. We need to be warned. We need to be appealed to. And so if your brother or sister faults or has a fault and uh, they, they sin against you, go to them. Tell them their fault between you and him alone. Because understand, like if, if, if someone actually sins against you or me, and then I go out and I'm broadcasting it to everybody, that then becomes a problem. And not only does the original person have to be dealt with, with their sin, but now you need to be dealt with because you have now told everybody under the sun about everything that happened. Right? So, there, there's, so we don't want that. We don't want to compound that. But what we want to do is, is we want to, again, not, not saying it's wrong to seek counsel. There's certainly a place for that. But, those who, but, but if, if someone is walking disorderly, Right? And there, there's no response then, right? But it says, it says, if he hears you, great. You've gained your brother. Everything is great. It's to be stopped. Boop, no more. Not to be talked about, not to be brought up ever again. Nothing else. Never again. But Jesus does tell us if he doesn't hear you, if they don't hear us, then, then there's a then there's a second second reality here that comes into play. If there is no response, if there's no repentance, if there's no obedience then something else has to take place. Now, notice what Jesus does here. He grounds this next section in what? In Old Testament Israel's law. Their, their law. And he says, well, what, we say, well, what do you mean? Well, what, what was it, how was it that, that a charge was to be established civilly among the nation of Israel, it had to be testified of by two or three witnesses. And Jesus pulls the civil law from the nation of Israel, and he applies it here in this section to the church. And he says, okay, so just like in Old Testament Israel's civil law, civil courts, if you're going to have to go to the next step, you need to confront your brother or sister again, this time with two or three other people, and that it may be so that it can be established by two or three witnesses, right? Uh, so, so and, and this is across the board, whether we're talking about elders in the church, whether we're talking about, we're talking about just, just um, you know, members of the church, it doesn't matter what position they hold, uh, is my point, is, is this is established for everyone. Take two or three witnesses with them, and that, that can be established, and then after that is the case, right? Again, if, if things go great, then great, praise God, nothing else is to be said. But if it doesn't, then there's a second, there's a next step that Jesus tells us that we're to take. And that is, but if you will not hear you, verse 16, then take with you one or two more, or I'm sorry, then a mouth to your witnesses, everyone may be, every word may be established. Verse 17, and if he shall neglect, or that's refuse, right, to hear them, tell it to the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be to you as a heathen man and a publican. And then Jesus says something radical. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, we'll get to that. But before we do, I simply want to point out there are two other steps. The first step is to tell it to the church. 
gets to be dealt with within a within not in a in a gossipy ha 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 did you hear did you hear did you hear kind of way but in a look we, we are mourning we're grieving we are we are grieved over this sin but this brother or sister has refused to deal with this and we they have been corrected over and over and over again uh, and they've refused to listen to myself or the others that have gone and now we're coming to you as the church and if the church after hearing it they if they rebuke the man as they should and he still doesn't listen then they are to be treated as a heathen and a publican what does that mean right well what it simply means is first and foremost they are not they are not to partake of the table they were to be refused the table they are to be refused the supper of the lord the the Lord's Supper, Just, they're not allowed. They are barred from the table. They are also barred from being treated like a believer. It doesn't mean that we're not friendly to them. doesn't mean that, that we, we don't love them. doesn't mean that we don't care about them. But we should, and, but they, unless they become disruptive, certainly shouldn't be barred from coming to the local uh, church. Uh, uh, but in all of that, they are treated just like we would treat a, someone who doesn't know Christ. We treat them with the same grace and mercy. We treat them with the same love. We treat them with respect, but we call them to repent and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over again. You say, well, now, Pastor, there's no way some, if this, somebody goes through this process, that they're coming back. Let me tell you, oh, yes, they will. I have seen it and experienced it firsthand. I have seen it and experienced it firsthand. Or as a result of something like this happening, they continued to come, and as a result, they repented. They repented. They turned from their sin eventually, hearing week in and week out of the grace of God and the gospel of Christ. I could take you to a woman. She's almost 80 years old. This happened. This happened. It didn't happen when she was 80, but she's almost 80 now, and, and it happened when she was much younger. But I know her. I know her very well. And her life was radically transformed by this that happened. And I've known other instances of where this has again happened over and over again, where the church treating the believer who is straying, calling his repentance and faith in Christ. And as a result, then they turned, not always, maybe not most of the time, but they eventually turned. And ultimately, the discipline of which Jesus is talking about here is all is one that's carried along with always a readiness to forgive. Like there, there's, if somebody says, you know what, I've been, I, I've prayed, you know, I, I've been convicted over this and I'm sinning anywhere along this process, the church should just stop and say, praise God for the for God's work and and just leave it there, right? And and work on restitution and anything that needs to happen from there, but. We as God's people must always be ready to forgive, ready to practice grace, ready to practice forgiveness. And here's why. Now, we don't like necessarily talking about this because it, it, does, sound, it does sound Catholic, right? Uh, but Jesus says it, and it's not Catholic. It's not Catholic in the sense of Roman Catholic. So when I say Catholic, I mean Roman Catholic. But it says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Why in the world would Jesus say this? Because do you know what the church's role is? The church's role is to give either assent and affirm the fact that this person, this brother or sister, 
who claims to be Christ, who claims to belong to Christ, is walking in accordance with the Word of God, or they're not. Or they're not. And the church's job in binding and loosening is one in which we simply declare with heaven the reality with heaven the reality of whether or not this person is acting like a believer or not. And in binding, we bind with the authority of heaven, and in loosening, we loose with the authority of heaven. You see, I think that far too often we don't get the ramifications of what actually goes on here week in and week out. 1 Corinthians tells us very clearly that angels are with us every single week. That's why we're told that women should have a a covering over their head, is because of the angels. And however you interpret that verse, but it's what Paul says. And other things like this. This, this is a, this is, there's a far greater reality, I think, this sometimes than what we even realize than what's going on. And this, this is why this is so important for us as God's people to take these types of things seriously. Right? And yet in the midst of all of this, I know there are people who are going to say, but this is just so mean. It's just mean. It's hateful. It's just cruel. Like, how could you say this? How could you do this? Why would you say this? Why would you do this? And so people would say things like, well, you know, if you do this, all you're going to do is cause divisions. Or if you do this, you're just judging people. You're judging everybody. Matthew 7, 1, Matthew 7, 1, Matthew 7, 1. As if that's the end all to beat all verses. Or somebody else would say, well, we're all sinners. Or we should not go around airing our dirty laundry in public. Right? Or we'll get sued. Or it's harsh, it's mean. And only God can judge people. Right? Like I've, I've heard all of these things before. All of these things before. And the reality is, is that certainly we should not be cruel or mean or harsh. We shouldn't go around judging how and dismissing half our church membership. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, we shouldn't go around disciplining people because they like one color of paint on the walls and somebody else likes another color of paint on the walls. Or somebody disagreed over the, the lighting, the type of light bulb. And you think I'm joking, but I'm not. These are all serious situations of why people were disciplined in this one particular church and all kinds of other things. And the the so we're not talking about ridiculous issues there. We're talking about legitimate issues. And why is it harsh? I'm not going to lie. Of course it's harsh. Well, then why would we be harsh? Aren't we called to love and grace? Yes, but love and grace at times is not always nice. Well, certainly we should never be harsh. We should never be harsh with others. Matter of fact, any time church discipline is carried out, there should be weeping. That is taking place. We should weep when the soul turns from the Lord. We should weep and we should wail and we should cry. We should fast and pray for that one who has gone astray. You know, the old saying, but for the grace of God, go I. And it's true. It's true. There's not a one of us that's any better than in any other. All of us are prone to failure and falling. And we should love one another enough to help one another walk in this life. Hold one another accountable. Help one another. Encourage one another. Because listen to me carefully. The gospel is at stake. You say, well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean the gospel is at stake? Exactly that. If we, if we go around teaching that it doesn't matter how you live and you die, you pray to prayer, you die and get to heaven, that's antinomian. That's wrong. That's not right. That's 
damnable, and so therefore that's a wrong gospel. And on the other end, Paul would write against the Galatians and the heretics there, and he would say, ah, but on the other end, you guys telling everybody you have to be circumcised in order to go to heaven to belong to Jesus, you're a heretic as well. The gospel's at stake. And how seriously we take the gospel. Do we take the gospel seriously or we don't? Because if we don't, then we're going to find ourselves, oh, you know, it's really none of my business. I don't really care. And then, you know, you just go your way. Maybe you'll go out and maybe you'll hurt yourself a million times. And, and, but you know what? It's none of my business. Or will we love each other enough to say, hey, brother, sister, I love you. And even though if you, if you go this way, I can't stop you. But if you go this way, at least I didn't, you can't say that I didn't warn you and I didn't try to help you. That I didn't take, try to take your burden up with you and help you and encourage you to walk with Christ. And again, none of this should ever be done in, in hatefulness or anger or, or anything else. And, and, and you know what? We're not going to always get this right. We're just not. I wish I would, that was the case. We're not always going to get things right. But we should base everything we do upon Scripture and with an eager desire to follow the Word of God. Not to dumb it down, not to reject it, not to neglect it, but to follow through with the Word of God, honoring Christ, serving Christ, making much of Christ in all that we do and say. That's the goal of everything we do, brothers and sisters. Right? As the, as the Westminster you know, says, you know, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's, that's our goal. Let us find our formation, find our, our formation in the gospel and let us live it out and let us hold one another accountable in all that we do and say for the glory of God, for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of a watching world that needs to know we take the gospel seriously. Let's pray. Father, uh, God, I know we've talked about a lot of things this morning, a lot of tough things, a lot of, a lot of difficult realities. But God, my prayer is that in this short time that we've taken, that you would help us to think about these things deeply, carefully. God, we would think about these things with great precision and great care, with great concern for one another. Great concern for the gospel, great concern for the, for the, for the honoring of Christ. So may you help us now. May you help us to, to, to give ourselves to the word Help us to give ourselves to the, to the Spirit's work through the Word of God. And let us humble ourselves before you, Father, and receive from your hand 